If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read together and stand together to read it, um, verses 6 through to verse 11. That's 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 6 through to verse 11. We'll stand together once you're there at the Scripture, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we'll audibly all read it together. 1 Peter Chapter 5, if you can stand, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through verse 11. Amen. Let's all read it together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray for the blessing upon your word in every place that it is opened and expounded this morning across this island. We pray for your anointing and for the breath of God to breathe. Lord, we're asking that you would give much help both to preach and to hear your word and above everything that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to speak just over these next couple of Sunday mornings. The Lord leads. The hour has come. Over the generations of the people of faith throughout the Scripture, you'll find that there has always been significant times that have come. You could say the hour has come. You go right back to the time of the children of Israel at the Red Sea. It was a critical moment. The hour had come that they were about to pass through. And you go right through all uh, the history of the faith of God's people. You'll find that there are many critical moments that came to the people of faith. And you could say in a metaphorical sense that the hour has come. I believe uh, these messages, they're prophetic, not in the sense that I've received a fresh revelation from the Lord, but that in the revelation of prophecy from God's Word, uh, they are prophetic in the hour in which we are living in and what God is doing. Peter writes here, and it's very important just to slow it a little bit through these verses. It's like a systematic instruction for the church, uh, knowing that there is a, a real devil, there is an opponent that we have, an adversary um, who is busy, uh, who is against the church of Jesus Christ. We have seen now that there is an outpouring of wickedness. There is an outpouring of demonic, devilish activity that is sweeping across our nation. But Peter then instructs us as the people of God how we are to live and how we are to stand in the midst of all that is happening in our nation and in the generation that we have come to. He says, if you look at it in, in verse 6, he begins with a, a plea for us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What a place to humble yourself. What a place to be. Get under the mighty hand of God. 
get on our knees. That's the plea I believe Peter sent to the church at this time that we get ourselves on our knees under the mighty hand of God. And we see here that this is the, 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 the basis, I suppose, the priority, the primary call for us in this day in which we're living with so much happening that the church gets itself under the mighty hand of God. Stay under the mighty hand of God. Just like the Lord who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the, the call for the servants of Jesus Christ is to humble themselves and stay under the mighty hand of God. You know God has a mighty hand. And that's where he wants us to be. That's where he wants us to rest. That's where he wants us to come to, that we get under the mighty hand of God. We get ourselves down. We humble ourselves. We're obedient to his word. And we humble ourselves. That scripture that we know well, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And our land needs the healing power of God to sweep across it. He then goes on to say, cast all your care, casting your care upon the Lord. Bring all your cares this morning, all of the cares that we've carried in. I believe Niall prayed that, or someone did, that we've carried all our cares into this house, and often what we do is we carry all the cares back out again. And what he's saying here is, bring your cares, all of your cares that you have, and bring them and cast them onto him. Why? Because the Lord cares for you. Isn't it great to know that He cares? And so He wants us to bring all of our cares and cast them upon the Lord. The Lord says in, in Luke chapter 21, 34, why it's important to cast your cares on the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that we're to be taking heed lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. That word actually means with headaches. Headaches of the world, the stress that comes with all the cares of the world. We use that in a metaphorical sense. My head's turned. I've got a headache with all the stuff that's going on, listening to all the, the daily inflow of all that's happening and all the pandemic and the COVID and the Brexit and the protocol and the this and the that and the other and they go on and they go on and they go on and they go on. Have you got a headache from listening to it? The best thing's to turn it off. Turn it off. It gives you a headache. And so what we're instructed here is that we are to bring all our cares. Anyone got cares this morning? Because the warning is that, that in that day that we are to take heed and to be careful, to be warned, because we could be overcome with the, the headaches and then he says drunkenness and the cares of this life so that the day that's coming will take you unaware. And so we see all the troubles in home and the pressures and the cares and, and everything that's happening in everybody's house and in the workplace and in the nation. People are burdened with cares. Thank God there's someone and there's somewhere that we can turn to this morning and we can cast all our cares on the Lord. Why can we cast them upon Him? Because He cares for us. God cares for us. You do any other time that this word... I thought it was so significant that it's found the Greek word of casting your cares on the Lord is in Luke chapter 19 when, they, when the Lord sends the disciples in to get the colt. 
And they, they go to, to, carry, to take this colt, and the owner said, What are you doing with the colt? And they said, Well, the Lord has need of the Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And here's the other time it's found. They cast their garments on the old donkey. And they know what they did. They sat the Lord on the donkey. And thank God this morning he's not seated on a donkey. He's seated on a throne. And you can cast your cares at the throne of grace this morning. He's above all principalities and powers. He's the head of the church. And you can cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because the Lord cares for you. Bring all your cares. Wonder what it would be if we could see it spiritually this morning. If God could give us the eyes to see what He sees, that if everyone by faith this morning brought all their cares, gathered them all together, and we piled them all at the front of this church and said, Lord, I'm leaving my burden there. I'm leaving my cares there. I'm going out this morning free from the burdens of the world and the cares of the world. I wonder what pile we'd create. What a pile of cares we'd bring to the Lord. But He's above them all. And He can take them all because He cares for you, Robert. The Lord cares for us. And so He says, cast all your cares is important because we know we're coming to what He's bringing us to, that there is a real enemy. You have an opponent. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Secondly, cast all your cares upon the Lord. You see, cares of the world will choke the Word of God. The effectiveness of the believer, the faith in their heart, when you're overcome with the cares of the world, the Word of the Lord doesn't have an effect in our lives. Faith doesn't rise because we're so consumed with the cares of the world. So he's saying, cast your cares. He's instructing us to cast your cares even upon the Lord. And then he says, be sober. That word simply means in the Greek, to abstain from wine. That's what it actually literally means. He said, be sober. Be sober. Abstain from wine. I believe in abstinence. That's what I believe in. Because the Bible says, be sober. Don't be drunken with the things of the world and the wine of this world and the partying of this world. Be sober. Why? Because there's a day coming. And there's an adversary. There's an opponent that is against you. And you need to be sober. Sobriety is so important for the believer. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're to be sober. Be sober. I know it's against the flow. I know it's against the popular opinion. I know it's against the church culture. But the Bible says, be sober. The Bible says be sober. The Bible says be sober. And I know all the debates and all the arguments and all the thoughts, but friends, we haven't time to debate today. We're living in critical times. The hour has come. Paul writing to Titus says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith and charity and impatience. He writes to the church, to the deacons' wives, and says they must be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. He writes to the church at Thessalonica and says, but let us who are of the day be sober, but on the breastplate of faith and of love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Be sober. The figurative side of that is, of course, that we are to be awake, that we are to be tuned in, 
And then he says, be vigilant. The critical hour of the Lord's life, if you turn over to it, his earthly ministry was in Mark chapter 14. And there he said these words, Mark 14, verse 34, Jesus said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death, that e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. He said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Mark 14, 34, Tarry ye here and watch. And the Lord went a little forward and fell on the ground, and he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour had come. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. What an hour it had come to. The critical hour, crucial hour, in the Lord's ministry, in His earthly ministry, the cross was before Him. He's in the garden. His soul is exceeding sorrowful. The weight of our sin, He understood in eternity that the weight of our sin was about to be placed upon Him. He says to those disciples, you wait, but when He comes, verse 37, when He cometh, He findeth them. And His critical hour, He findeth them sleeping. He said unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Could you not watch one hour? Watch ye. That word is the same as the word vigilant. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Pray. Lest ye enter temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak in our spirits. We know. We know what we should be. We know how we should live. We know what we should be doing. But our flesh is so weak. We want to do the things of God. We desire, we know that the spiritual man is knowing the, the promptings of the Holy Ghost to bring us to a place to live for Him in these days. But there's so many distractions. There's so many cares. There's so many things that trouble us. And the Lord is a critical hour. It's the hour. The hour has come. So many are asleep. They're not vigilant. They're not awake to the hour that we've come to. The reason for this humility, the reason for the casting of our cares and the, as, as Peter brings it through us, the reason for the sobriety, the reason for the vigilance is because he says, because your adversary, the devil, you have an opponent. Anybody know that you have an opponent? You have an opponent that goes around as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. The church of Jesus Christ has an opponent. That's what that word adversary means. You have an opponent. You have an arch enemy. That enemy is the devil. And he goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now that word devour means to swallow you up, to drown you in the, in the things of this world, and the cares of this life and the distractions that are happening all around us. There's a real devil. There's a real devil. He's your opponent. Yes, Jesus has overcome the devil by the power of His death. Thank God through His death, He destroyed him. That is the devil. But He is loosed on this earth, and He's a real devil. And He seeks whom He may devour. Peter said, humble yourself. He's saying, cast your cares on the Lord. He's saying, be sober. He's saying, be vigilant. He's saying, why is he saying those things? Because you have an opponent. And that opponent is the devil. And it's the hour that we've come to that the power of Satan is being unleashed to swallow up, 
to drown the church. That's what he wants to do. But we know that Jesus says that I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That does not mean we're not vigilant or we don't cast our cares on him or we're so, we should be sober. It means that we must all the more in these days be awake and to be vigilant. In Revelation chapter 12, you know these couple of verses well, but it says, Revelation 12 and 11, that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he has but a short time. His time's near up. His time's near up. But he knows his time is short. And the deception of what he brings and what we're seeing manifested, it is absolutely devilish what's taking place in our nation. We see what's happened to that member of parliament. We see the devil that is possessed in the minds of men and women. We see the outpouring of wickedness. We, I don't want to go through all the statistics of it, but we see that there's such a rise of wickedness in this hour. We see the immorality. We see the depravity of man. We see that they have called good evil and evil good. We know that. We know there's a conspiracy. There is a conspiracy. It's the conspiracy in hell against the church of Jesus Christ. It will fail because Christ has triumphed. But there is a conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm, I believe in a conspiracy of the end times of an antichrist, a future antichrist, not a past one, a future one that's rising up right now. And thank God there's a church in the midst. There's a remnant of God across these nations. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, not loving their lives unto death. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has come down. And he knows his time is short. Short time to work. The parallel of this I want to bring us to in the hour that has come is a parallel that we've looked at before, but I feel the Lord just led me back into it and give a little bit more light, if you like. We are in the days of what it was like in the days of the prophet Daniel. We see the parallels. King Nebuchadnezzar is a type of our opponent. We see the worldly system, that Babylonian kingdom, as a type of the Antichrist one world system that is rising. Friends, it is alarming how quickly it is coming together. It's alarming how quickly... You know, I hear people saying they don't believe in this. It's like someone standing on a... On a, on a, on a, on a like a weatherman standing saying it's going to be sunny all day and it's raining upon him. It's so ridiculous that some people come off with this stuff that the Antichrist world is coming together so rapidly. The Babylonian system is joined. Even the world understand that. We talked about it just recently with Stephen sharing about the, the world understand that there's a coming together of the whole political financial system. Everything of that is all, all ends up in one place. That at the pinnacle of that, there is an antichrist. Who that is, I can't tell you fully. I have my own beliefs in that, but there is an antichrist. There is a coming together of this entire world system. 
God is in control of it all. He has ordered it all. He has purposed it all. And what the wonderful thing for us is, He's going to burst through the clouds in all His glory and all His splendor for the church, triumphant. But we cannot be ignorant. We cannot fall asleep. We cannot be drunken with the things of the world or allow the cares of the world to overcome us. We see Babylon rising. We see a falling away. We see a remnant of believers. And that remnant of believers are going to experience an intensity of the heat. The heat is going to be turned up. It's going to get more. Listen, it's going to get worse. The intensity is going to be worse. I know maybe some are saying, oh, I just wanted to hear something nice this morning. But I want to tell you the truth this morning. And we're going to overcome in this. I'm disappointed with many preachers that are preaching things that are not preparing the church for the day which we are entering into. It's poor doctrine in one place, but it's ignorance in the other. Now, that everything's going to be fine or we're going to just miss it all. I want to tell you something, friends. We're in it. We're not off it, but we're in it, but we're overcomers through Christ. The church has to be ready for this. While it sleeps and while it while it bickers and while it closes its doors, friends, the church must awaken. The church of Jesus must rise up. And so we see in the midst of this Babylonian captivity that there is a remnant, praise the Lord, but the heat was going to intensify. These believers in that time of Daniel were unbending in their convictions. We are going to find out very soon what we really believe. We're going to find out very soon what we really believe. Not just a statement of faith on a piece of paper. Not just a doctrine that we just hold up now and again and say, this is what I believe. But the very substance of what we are as believers, we're going to be tested. And we're going to be tested with fire. The fire is going to test us to find out what kind of believer we really are. May God give us the grace to stand. Because we cannot do it ourselves. We know that. But God gives the grace. And so we see these believers. But I want us to look at them this morning. If you turn over into Daniel chapter 1. These believers were unbending in their convictions. Peter says, whom resist? This is the adversary. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. These were men and women were steadfast in their faith. May we be steadfast in our faith. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, it talks about these four children. We know who they are. It says that in the midst of Babylon, God gave them knowledge and skill. In the midst of Babylon, look at what it says. God gave them knowledge, skill, in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. How was that possible? Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. This was not, it wasn't because he went to grammar school. If you did, that's great. It was because he was full of the Holy Ghost. That the Holy Ghost gave him understanding and knowledge. That gave him wisdom and visions and dreams. God revealed his heart to this man in Babylon. In this Antichrist world, he gave them the understanding by the Spirit of God. If you turn over to Daniel chapter 5 and verse 12, it speaks of them again. And it says these words, For as much 
as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and the interpretation of dreams and the showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel. How was that possible? How was a man to have an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, hard sentences, dissolving the doubts? They were found in him. How is it possible? By the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. There was a conviction that he would not buy, and so God's hand was upon this young man and these young men to stand in that day. Can I tell you, whether we're young or old, that God can cause us by His Spirit to stand in the evil day. We don't have to buy. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to yield to the system and the language of the Chaldeans. We can stand on the promises of Christ our King. We don't have to bend. God gives us the grace. Once we stand, He'll give us the ability to stand in the midst of it all. The Bible tells us in the last days, in the last days there's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In Joel 2, it says, It shall come afterward that I will pour my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. Just like it was with Daniel. They had visions, interpretation of dreams and visions by the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Ghost. To have revelation, to speak the Word of God in the workplace. Men's hearts are failing them for fear. The world don't know where to turn. They see the confusion and the mess. The world see it. But the church need to bring the revelation of God's Word by the Spirit of God into hearts. Have an answer in the midst of all of this. You don't have to live in fear and confusion. It's Christ. We can bring the revelation of God by the power of the Spirit. These Hebrew children were brought into that world, that Babylonian system, but their wisdom, their diligence, that the world seen in them, the world wanted to use that to enhance that kingdom. Look what happened in Daniel 1, if you go back to it again, chapter 1 and verse 3, and I believe this has happened already in our nation. We've moved away from this, but I want to show you historically what I believe has happened. In Daniel chapter 1, Verse 3, the master of the eunuchs, he brought the certain children of Israel. I love this. It says, the certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed. I thank God we're off the king's seed this morning. If you're born of the Spirit, we're off the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're off a different world. The children, it says in verse 4, in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and the understanding, I want you to note something, understanding science. And such had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. It's profound. Here, here are Hebrew boys that have been carried away from Jerusalem. They're brought into a Babylonian world that's wicked. It's a type of the Antichrist. But they had an excellent spirit. They had a conviction in their heart. And the king and the master actually seen the integrity of these young men that they were not going to buy into that world. Young men or young women, they were not going to buy into that world. They had the ability to stand. They had the ability to stand in the king's palace. They had the ability to... May God give us the ability to stand in our workplaces. Stand. Stand for Jesus. Not buy into this system. It's pressing for us to buy. Don't buy. 
And so we see that they were standing in the king's palace. Of course, the parallel of this, here are men that were favored, skillful, cunning, and knowledge, and they understood the science. God gave these children favor in that kingdom. I want to show you something just very simple. It's not profound, but just simple. But you know, this nation, I had to speak of the United Kingdom, this nation, this nation has been blessed with men such as Daniel and these Hebrew children. This nation has been enhanced. It has been enhanced by men and women of faith who are now going home to be with the Lord, who brought their knowledge that God had blessed them with to enhance this kingdom, this united kingdom. This is not a, this is time to fly your flag or sing Britannia rules the waves. I'm talking about a people that were in, within this kingdom that God greatly used to enhance this kingdom. Just like he took Daniel and those boys, they seen there was something different about them. God had blessed them. They were understanding and science and knowledge and in wisdom. That world wanted them. And those men would stand in that palace and they would bring their gifts and their, and their understanding into, the, into Babylon. And Babylon was enhanced because of them. It had never crossed between their convictions, if you understand, and the laws that Babylon was going to bring towards them. Everything was fine. There was no Christ. There was no collision. There was no conviction. They stood for the Lord. But there was coming, like we're facing right now, there's coming a clash of two kingdoms. It was coming, and it is coming, and it is here. Do you understand what I'm saying? We know that this nation, that we live in the benefit of some of these great men and women. I want to talk about a few of them this morning. Some of them I hadn't heard. I had to research it. Forgive me for my ignorance, but I had to look back and say, Lord, we, I know we've been blessed as a nation because of generations before us that were, were groundbreakers in what they brought and what they, what they brought to this nation. And we, we live in the good of it today, but we don't necessarily appreciate it because they're forgotten today. You think of a man called Robert Boyle, born in 1627. Tim, we're going back this morning. But we live in the benefits of these men and what they, what they discovered. Robert Boyle in 1627, the 1691 said that a deeper understanding of science was a higher glorification of God. What a statement. You not hear a scientist saying that today. It tells us of him he divined elements, compounds, and mixtures, and he discovered the first gas law, Boyle's Law. Anyone ever heard of it? Boyle's Law. I'm, there's a doctor in the front row. <laughs> I hope I get this right this morning, Carl. Boyle's Law. 1627 he was born. We live in the knowledge and the benefit of this man of God today. It's a profound thing. Isaac Newton. Anyone ever heard of Everyone should have heard of Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton. 1643 to 1727 profoundly changed our understanding of nature with his law of universal gravitation and his laws of motion. Built the first ever reflecting telescope, showed sunlight is made of all the colors of the rainbow. He was a man of God. Anyone ever heard of Florence Nightingale? Florence Nightingale. 
1820 to 1910, an Anglican who believed God spoke to her, called her to, to her work, transformed nursing into a respected, highly trained profession, used statistics to analyze wider health outcomes, advocated sanitary reforms largely credited with add, adding 20 years to life expectancy. What a woman. But she was a woman of God. Someone prayed it the other night, but just last week, I believe it was recently, the RCN Nursing Awards of 2021 went to a nurse locally in Belfast called Nicola Bailey, and judges lauded her passion for promoting health, for her bravery of continuing despite protests and political resistance. What did she do? She set up early medical abortion clinics in Belfast, and we have awarded her. Times have changed. Give us Florence Nightingale's. Or Michael Faraday, 1791 to 1867, called the father of electricity. You glad, you glad for electric this morning? You get your toast and your cup of tea? Well, thank God for Michael Faraday, the father of electricity and his appetite for experimenting new new bounds. Faraday discovered the laws of electromagnetism, invented the first electric motor, built the first electric generator, paved the way for mechanized age. Thank God for Michael Thank God for those that were involved in social reform and outreach. Thank God for the Salvation Army who reached into the poverty-stricken areas of London and brought the down and outs in and clothed them because they were born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they had a heart for people. Thank God for those great politicians and men of faith like William Wilberforce, when tens of thousands of Africans were being sold into slavery, that God would save a man called William Wilberforce in Easter 1786. And he said these words, so enormous, so dreadful, so remedial did the slave trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up to abolish it. Let the consequences be what they would. I from that time was determined that I would never resist until I had effected his ab abolition. Oh God, give us men like William Wilberforce. I don't even think the woke movements or the, all the Black Lives Matter movements know what they're talking about. Or Thomas Bernardo, who was born in Dublin when he was 17 years old, became a Christian after hearing Hudson Taylor decided and wanted to become a missionary to China, went to London to train as a doctor, and the rest is history. He had a heart for kids. He pulled them off the street and he gave them an education. He put food in their bellies and he put a coat on their back. Why? Because he was saved. And these men and women give this to our nation. Parallel to all of this that was going on, great men and women in science, inventors, business, military leaders, the church was strong with preachers that preached the gospel, the Wesleys, the Whitfields. Parallel to that were hymns that were rising up out of the hearts and the breasts of men like Isaac Watts. Oh God, our help in ages past. Our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Our Henry Light, who was educated in Enniskillen, abide with me, fast falls the evening tide. The darkness deepens. Oh God, with me abide. Or William Whiting, eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm does bind the restless wave, whose winds the mighty oceans deep, its own appointed limits keep. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee, those for those in peril on the sea. What a day. 
Men and women that would stand for the faith of Jesus Christ who were possessed of a hope but had a call to stand and they seen the qualities and the giftings that God had put within them and they brought them in and they enhanced the nation and they stood for God and upon them God had given them the spirit of understanding and wisdom and interpretation and giftings and talents that they would use for the kingdom. And the kingdom rose. And there was a great kingdom. And it did go out into the four corners of the earth. And it did enable the gospel to be preached. And missionaries were sent. It was Wilberforce that started the church missionary society and sent preachers out across India to preach the gospel. But the times change. I want you to see it just like it was in the days of Daniel. Something was about to change. Something has changed. In Daniel 1 and verse 8, it simply tells us of Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he may not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. God give us Daniels. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It was the Chaldeans, of course, that conspired. They conspired. It was them that whispered in the king's ear, there are men that are here of the Hebrew children. And, O king, they're not bound to your laws. They're not yielding in. They don't speak our language. I'm thankful that we don't speak the language of the Chaldeans. I'm thankful this morning we are not going to change our tongue for this modern liberal world. A he is a he and a she is a she. You'll not change the, the signs in our toilet doors, I can tell you, friends. Even if you make it a law, men are men and women are women. We'll not change our language to fit in with your world. This is not our home, and this is not our world, and we don't belong here, but we will not change our language. Daniel and the Hebrew children simply had convictions. Convictions. I want to ask you, friend, have you got convictions? Just good old-fashioned God, Bible-based convictions. Convictions to stand. Daniel purposed that he would not. Godly held beliefs based on the Word of God that they would not compromise. And a change is coming as the laws of that Babylonian world would come into direct conflict of the law that God had written in their hearts. You see, there's a law in my heart this morning. There's a law in your heart. Hebrews 8 and 10. I will write, I will put my laws in your mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. You have a law in your mind and in your heart. And they're going to change the laws as they are doing presently. And this is what I want to share with you, and this is where we'll go over the next weeks. But they're changing those laws, and those laws are going to be in direct contradiction to the law that's in your heart. The law that's in your heart. The law that's in your heart. You haven't made those laws up. The Holy Ghost has put them in you. 
And so the laws are being changed and now there's coming to a great conflict. There's coming to a great test. There's coming to a time of a great resistance for the church of Jesus Christ. And our opponent has conspired that there are certain believers that will not buy. I wonder, are you going to be part of those certain believers that will not buy? In Daniel 3 and verse 8, it says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now I want to tell you something about the Chaldeans. In the Bible dictionary, it tells us that they were warlike, aggressive mountain people. Warlike, aggressive mountain people. That just does sound like the enemy, doesn't it? The Chaldeans came near. The convictions of that remnant would be tested with a fire as it will be today. And Peter says that we're to resist steadfast in the faith. The change has already begun and it will increase rapidly over these number of months ahead of us. The change that's about to take place Brothers and sisters, I believe we are ready. In the Lord, we'll be ready to stand. I cannot tell you exactly all that's going to take place, but we are moving so fast in a certain direction. I want to tell you something. This is going to be the most exciting day for the church of Jesus Christ. You may not feel that or think that, but I believe we're about to see the fourth man in the fire. The fourth man in the fire. You see, when the crisis really comes, And the people of God really do stand up. Do you know what really happens? God really manifests himself in all his glory and all his power. The fourth man will get into the fire with us. When you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned. I'm going to be with you right even to the end. There is a conflict that's come. You know, we can't. I don't know about you, but when you look at it over the past even a couple of years, but it's been maybe over the past five to ten years in reality. When you just look at it for a moment, that this nation, you know what, when I was in England a couple of weeks ago and listened to some of the brothers that are pastoring churches over in England, it's shocking, the condition of England. It's actually shocking. It's actually would break your heart. It would make you weep that this was the nation of these are just a handful of, of literally hundreds of men and women that rose up with the faith in their hearts and a love for Jesus that made the nation great. Righteousness exalts the nation. Righteousness exalts the nation. That's why the nation was great. As Queen Victoria said, it wasn't the army, it wasn't the navy, it wasn't their wealth. It was that it was founded upon the Word of God. The Judeo-Christian values that it was based upon made the nation great. The Bible also says that the nation that forgets God has turned into what? Has turned into hell. The darkness is great. But when the darkness is great, it's the opportunity for the light to shine even the brighter. There is a resistance that's going to come. And this is what I really want to leave us with this morning. There's a, a resistance that's about to come. There is a conflict that's coming. There's It's nearly like a a slow collision. You can see it happening. There is a kingdom that has been blessed in the natural realm by what 
Those of the faith have blessed it with. God gave them the spirit of understanding and gave them the gifts. These men and women owed it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, Wilberforce said these words. There's a statue of him in Westminster Abbey. And he said, by the blessing of God, this is what they said of him, by the blessing of God, he removed from England the guilt of the African slave trade and prepared the way for the abolition of slavery in every colony of the empire and the prosecution of these objects. He relied not on vain, but he relied on God. He did it because he was a Christian. He did it because he was a believer. And we live in the benefit of that liberty and that freedom today and all these great scientists and all that they have given us. We live in the benefits of that today. And what are we saying as a nation now? We don't want your God. And the change has taken place. And now there's coming the laws that are being changed. And now we're going to see really that the church stand up for Jesus. We're going to find out the believers across this land that it wasn't something that we did on a Sunday. It wasn't just a religious thing that we did and now and again just to tick the box and where we hung our coats on a Sunday and we sung a couple of songs and we threw in a few pence or we gave some money to the charity shopper. It's going to be something of the reality of what we prayed for. God is going to raise up a church. His church is going to be a people full of the Holy Ghost and a faith. And it's going to be tested with our arch opponent. That's the devil himself. And so Peter says, stay under the mighty hand of God. Stay there. Cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your opponent is going around like a roaring lion seeking to swallow you up. Whom you resist steadfast in the faith that the God of grace is going to cause his people to stand up, that the church would arise, that the church would be the church. How is it going to happen? He's going to turn the heat up. The fire is going to be turned up. But you know what? You'll not be burnt because the fourth man comes and he's with us. Oh God, what a day we're in. This is a great day to be alive. You might be saying, my goodness, I can't wait to get home here. I'm not too sure. I'm going to tell you, this is a great day to be alive. This is a great day to be a part of the church. Why? Because he's going to cause it to stand up. Anna is going to stand. She has stood. This precious soul has stood in her class and stood for the Lord and stood and read out what she believes with conviction. She stands for the Lord. God's going to cause his people to stand up. Stand up. Dare to be a Daniel. I don't know why these great hymns, some of them are only sung at funerals. I don't really know why that's the case. Imagine only singing Abide With Me at a funeral. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself may guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. That's what the nation was built on. You might sing it at a football match or a rugby match, but friends, I want to tell you something, what a truth. These men, as that nation was built, were inspired to write hymns 
like this. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is this thing where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. I wonder who was singing at the close this morning. Abide with me. Maybe not a good tambourine one. Sorry, Jeff. But we could sing it this morning. <laughs> you never know. We can play the tambourine the most things. <laughs> but abide with me. What a hymn. And friends, the nation that forgets God's turned into hell. It's sobering. It's so real. But there's a great conflict. What you're feeling is a kingdom pressing in on this kingdom, the kingdom of his own dear son. And may God give us the grace to stand. Stand. May God give us Florence Nightingales. May God call men and women into those positions. You know, they distorted that. Some of those prosperity preachers distort all this about, it's about you getting rich and getting success. It's not about that at all, friends. It's about those that God would put the spirit of understanding and revelation and give them the giftings for the glory of God to enhance this world. Give us men and women of faith. Put them in the science world. Thank God for those scientists that are believers. But you know what they do with them? They shut them down. They're not allowed to speak. Doctors that are saved, nurses that are saved, the pressure's coming up. We need to pray for them. Medical staff are under tremendous pressure, but you know what the most pressure is? Friends, it's not the pandemic. It's the spirit of this age. It's the spirit of this age. Imagine a warden. God forgive us. A nurse. Because she set up an abortion clinic. Nurse is standing with her award. Imagine, friends, listen. Be careful. Don't think it's going to escape us. It's either at your birth, it's either at the womb, or the assisted suicide. That our Lord that stood the other day and said, the blasphemy that he came off with, that that Roman soldier assisted the death of Jesus. That's why we should bring in assisted suicide. Thank God there was another Lord that stood up and said, Sir, you've got that wrong. He willingly gave his life as a ransom. There's still a voice. We're still a people. Let me tell you, friends, it's the young, it's the babies, and it's the old. But who's next? The frail? The weak? The disabled? Don't you think that that old devil will stop at the young and the old? God's the giver of life. It's time for the church to stand up. We must stand. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Wake up. Stand for Jesus. Stand in his grace. Don't speak their language. Don't laugh at their jokes. Everything around you today is that homosexual world. Everywhere and everything. It's no joke, friends. Don't make light of it. It's not funny. It's dreadful. It's actually dreadful where we are. God help us to stand for him.